Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, to this week's podcast with Haley Parker. Uh, I met Haley doing Allegiance in L.A. Uh, yes, with George Decay. She did get to, you know, dress him. That was pretty exciting. We'll ask about that later. Um, but, <laughs> Haley, you have a uh, BFA from 2007 in theater design and technology from University of North Texas. And then mm-hmm. in 2013, went back from an MFA in theater design costumes from UC San Diego. You have worked at a couple of different universities, uh, an adjunct faculty at both U, uh, CSU LA and Cal Poly Pomona, which Sydney and I both applied for Cal Poly Pomona. It was a beautiful campus. And then you're currently the costume designer and uh, member of the Chalk Repertory Theater, and UCLA and the Troubadour Theater Company. And uh, you've done a couple things with East-West Players, which is where I met you at. So is there anything else you want to add to that? <laughs> Here's what I found out about you while stalking you on your <laughs> Facebook and webpage. <laughs> I need to update everything. Um, <laughs> I also worked at Pepperdine University. Um Cal State LA is where I teach more often these days, though I took the, the semester off. Um, I also design shows, or I have designed shows at Malibu Playhouse. I'm at the Odyssey Theater fairly often. Um, I'm a Rogue Machine company member, so I design there periodically, and I love those people. Um, <laughs> I am the resident stage manager of Chalk Rep, so I'm actually the only the stage manager, or not stage manager. Wow. I was like, <laughs> wait, you do stage management like, too? Oh, Good why God, has no, that never, never come up? I be a terrible stage manager. I live in life of chaos. Um, I'm a costume designer. <laughs> Woo! Resident costume designer for Chalk Repertory Theater. Uh, so I do all the shows there, which is fun. It's fully immersive and, and site-specific theater. Yeah, which is an, another... I had a whole list of questions and things after going over because Sydney <laughs> and I always have this debate. I prefer tr- not traditional... In the sense of like old theater, I do new theater, but I like traditional spaces and she likes the found immersive spaces. Mm-hmm. It's always a back and forth between <laughs> which one <laughs> is better. Um, so excellent. So usually we start with uh, fairly simple questions I think you can handle. How did you get into <laughs> theater to start with? Was it in your family? Did somebody like drop you in Not and say, point. here, do theater? Um <laughs> How I found my way to theater is actually kind of strange. Um, I was a painfully, awkwardly shy child. I I wouldn't speak to anyone (laughs) I didn't know. Um, And we moved across Texas when I was about 12 or 13. And so I was thrown into this whole new world of all these strangers, and I'm just brutally shy. And in seventh grade, my history teacher happened to also be the, the head of the junior high theater program the after school program. And she just kind of spotted me in the corner back there. And I was like, you there, I think you should come to a, a meeting next week for the theater club. And I was like, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> There's people, they're looking at you me. Met me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I mentioned it to my mom when I got home and she was like, yeah, give it a try. I mean, why not? 
Your mom's and like, so- geez, God, talk to somebody, make friends. <laughs> right? Just make a friend. <laughs> so um, so I, I went and I ended up absolutely loving it. And I was like, I found my people. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, so in, in junior high, I found my, my people, my awkwardness, and, and it was welcome and fitting there. Um, and then I did it all through high school as well. And even in, in junior high, I think it's eighth grade. I started sewing costumes for the plays, um, specifically The Crucible, which I was actually cast in as Elizabeth Proctor. I should Ooh. never be allowed on a stage, for the record. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, if she sews the costumes, we'll give her any part she wants. <laughs> right? <laughs> she wants to sew. Give her a role. <laughs> so um, I, I did that. And then uh, in high school, I kept doing theater. And by my senior year of high school, I was making all the costumes pretty much for every show. Um, so then I was a little bit tired <laughs> and graduated yeah. high school and I was like, you know, there's not really life in theater. There, There's no way to live in theater, or make money in it. Cause my family did, like, it does not compute with their minds. My mother is a nurse. My father is a machinist. So these very practical lives. <laughs> yeah, our dad is <laughs> a scientist. Health so, insurance yeah. and retirement are things that they really care about. Um, <laughs> yeah, and we care. Still, we just don't get my family. They're like, "What are you going to do when you retire?" And I was like, "That's adorable. We don't retire. We die in theaters. This is what <laughs> exactly. we do. not going to happen. Hopefully, I'll die after opening night or at least final and, dress. So you know, I'm, I'd be fine to die peacefully in the audience on opening night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> that's fine by me. Um, so when I, I left high school. I I still loved sewing and I was like I'm just gonna do fashion design that that'll be a good bridge you know for what I love and and make a life and then I did a year of fashion design in, in college and I was like I hate this <laughs> get me <laughs> out of here get me away from these people and uh, my best friend was a was an actor in the theater program at my college so. Uh, they were in crunch time and she's like we the costume shop needs help can you sew like a magician so just please come save us and so I showed up to the costume shop and I stayed and I sewed probably till four or five in the morning and uh and I had shown up with my friends that day the next day I showed up without them (laughs) and (laughs) and sewed in the costume shop and uh Barbara Cox who runs the University of North Texas uh, costume program was like who who is she <laughs> to, the, to the shop manager and can we keep her <laughs> how do we steal her um and they just they approached me and they're like we really think you would be a really good fit for this department and we you know just check it out take the costume class and see what you like and I it never looked back I just went full steam ahead to costume because I was like yeah this is really where I belong and my family did not take that well. <laughs> <laughs> ours, ours argued about being in theater because, again, you can't make money. You can't do anything. And so we had mm-hmm. double majors until we decided to go to London. And they said, oh, fine. I mean, it's a good experience to go study abroad in London, but you have to keep a minor. Yeah. So we both have degrees in theater with minors in something else. My parents That's are like, funny. you're getting a minor in business whether you like it or not. 
It'll be useful. (laughs) My mom once asked me what my backup plan was in college. And at that time, I was taking archaeology. And I've always been madly in love with archaeology. And I was like, I think I might do archaeology as a backup. And my mom just burst into this huge belly laughter. And she goes, oh, honey, I think your backup plan needs a backup plan. (laughs) (laughs) Your backup plan might be worse than theater, actually. Exactly. I was like, I may have chosen something worse. Awesome. Mom, Indiana Jones. (laughs) I'm like, well, the goal is to never need it. So that'll be fine. (laughs) So what was the difference that you didn't quite like between like fashion design in the world and theater costume design in, in plays? I'm a, I'm a storyteller. I need to, I need to be able to be a part of the story. And in, in, costume design you help create a world and a human on your own in the world of fashion you just have to think like what what do the masses want to wear what are the masses interested in and it's less individualized and in costume each element of the garment also or each element of the costume tells its own story so what is that particular shirt that you're wearing what life has it been through is it your favorite t-shirt do you have a million coffee stains on it is it immaculate do you have pit stains like it each garment tells a story as well so that's really what made me fall in love with costume versus fashion it's just so much more interesting and versatile nice so then you had a couple years gap between graduating from northern texas and coming out to California. Why why did you want to come out to California as opposed to New York where Broadway is? Um I worked for about 4 years in the in the Dallas area between undergrad and grad school and I I worked until I, I hit a wall, a ceiling and everyone was like, "We really love you and your work, but we want to hire someone with an MFA." And I was like, "Hmm, thanks. Love me, but not enough." <laughs> so, I talked to my undergrad mentor And she had actually taught my grad school mentor. Uh, So she really encouraged me to go to UCSD. She said, you know, I think it'll be a great program for you and and what you're interested in. Plus, I like to do film occasionally and commercials. It's also very fun. Um, So I I was always more interested in, in California rather than New York. And I'm allergic to the cold. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so Stacey am I. Too. Winter, <laughs> winter I is a scary thing. <laughs> I don't like snow. It's cold. It's wet. It gets everywhere. I'm not sure how, but it does. And in every layer of clothing you wear, they, you'll never be protected. Exactly. Yeah, definitely California. <laughs> so that's funny because uh, we talked a couple of times. Cindy went to grad school and got her... Um, MFA, and I didn't. I stuck with a BA, and we really haven't noticed much different in the hiring process as as people saying, hey, you don't have the right degree. Now, when I apply for jobs at universities, they say they prefer an MFA, but it's interesting that as a costume designer, they, they preferred you get an MFA. I was trying to apply it at the much larger theaters in Dallas at that point, because I had worked for a lot of the smaller ones. And at that point, I was just trying to get that next ladder rung. And everyone mm-hmm. was just like, no, we hire in from out of state. Generally, they have an MFA or they're from New York or they're from L.A. And so I had to I had to combat that. It was a little frustrating. 
So did now that you've gone through the MFA and student loans and hours of work and all <laughs> that, now how do you feel about it? Do you think it was a good idea for you to go that way? Or now that you're in California, does it not really matter? Or um, Artistically, I think my, my MFA was one of the best decisions I've ever made, actually, um, professionally. Uh, UCSD, the moment I walked in for my interview, I felt like that place was home. And I knew it was a really great match for me. I found some of my absolute best friends from there. And I've gotten some incredible job leads from my network from UCSD. So it really did set me up on a really, really good foot. And it, it has definitely helped me continue building my career in California. Oh, that's really cool. I, mm-hmm. I only know a scientist from UCSD and he has a very different opinion of it, but... He's a biochemist, yeah. not quite in the same field. <laughs> a little different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So now you're out here and you're in San Diego. Did you work around San Diego or did you move up to LA immediately and be like, film and television? Yep, that's exactly what I did. I moved straight <laughs> to LA and I was really wishy-washy too. Um, when I was graduating, I was like, I don't know where I want to go. I don't really want to. I'm not not interested in going back to Texas. I don't want to go to New York. And my grad school mentors as a, as the whole committee of them were like, you're going to LA. We have made this choice for you. Perfect. <laughs> you Thank will you. be just fine. You're going to be great. Just go to LA. And so I went and they were, they were right. It was a good choice for me. Nice. I've, I've been very lucky with my, my graduate committee and and mentors they've just been absolutely spectacular for me that is excellent do you still talk to them and you're in communication with them on what's going on i do fairly regularly um lisa porter who does the the stage management program at ucsd actually just hired me for a job a couple weeks ago that i was doing last week so it was we we all still keep in touch which is great that is so cool i i'd like to keep in touch with uh the TD from my university, University of Redlands, um, was the biggest influence and was like, you're going to be a TD. And at the time, like you, I was like, uh, I don't really talk to people and do a bunch. Like, I can build a set. Uh, but he's not on Facebook right now. Uh, he hasn't been for a while. And so I kind of lost contact. But I'm like, if you only knew how much I think about you on a regular basis. Yeah. Sometimes I have those people and I'm like, I just need to reach out and send you an email and be like, you know, I need you to know that I think about you much more than I do. (laughs) Yeah, I I should do that. (laughs) So cool. So some of the things you work on out here are, I don't know much about your theater and film stuff. I know about your theater stuff. So you've gone between, well, the the little bit I've, you know, worked with you in the last couple of months. Allegiance was a very historically accurate based on real people on a real event and then you Mm -hmm. jump over to things like at the troubadours where you do um little drummer boy where you guys boy where you take the little drummer boy and you add david boy songs to it or uh how the prince stole christmas and you take prince songs and do it on how the grinch stole christmas how do you go back and forth be doing something so historically accurate like Allegiant and then turning Prince into the Grinch and doing that. Like those it's seem like two very different inter- things. Interested in, in doing costume design. It's the, the constant whiplash of 
oh, let's do naturalism today. And then, oh, let's do something completely bonkers the next day. So um, you like never get bored with it. There's never exactly. like, oh my God, I've done this a million times before. Exactly. It's actually usually the more naturalistic shows where I'm like, do I have to? <laughs> <laughs> do we have to be accurate? I can't do something weird with it. <laughs> Suddenly, George Decay in the middle of World War One in the concentration camp has blue hair. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> let's be wacky um with allegiance it actually it absolutely had to be much more historically grounded because i really wanted to do justice to the people that survived that incredibly awful experience um and i wanted it to be a visceral experience also for the audience so that they can kind of feel that themselves what they're going through so it was it was really important that that be naturalistic and and much more like clothing and less like costumes yeah i saw your designs uh well we were in production meetings from like january or december or whatever and how many costume pieces were there or designs i complete outfits were there because pieces is a whole nother story oh for, pieces, yes thousands. <laughs> there wasn't a ton of actors per se on stage actually it was cut down from the new york and the san diego version how many different costume looks did you have all together there's approximately 150 and how many actors is that going on there are 15 actors it's roughly 10 costumes per actor but some of them had only like four or five costumes and then some had like 12 or 13 costumes so it all kind of evened out in the middle in the end but it's about 150 i, I thought it was amazing to me because like obviously i i, I kind of knew what to expect because stacy told me and being a theater person i knew what to expect but I still had a hard time tracking some of those performers. Like in my head, naturally, I was just like, no, there's got to be like 30 people backstage right now because <laughs> I don't know how they got on and off stage so quickly with all these different costume changes. And so I spent the entire evening trying to be like, is that the same person that was just over there in that costume? It was like complete transformations. It was totally yeah. amazing. And I even knew what to look for, you know, <laughs> and I was entertained by the costumes yeah so really uh, wonderful. Uh, i'm terrible at names but the the one white guy who played every <laughs> white role was jordan very goodsell. impressive huh jordan goodsell jordan yes in one song alone i think you said he had like four costume changes yes the, it's uh not wishes um one right after wishes don't fight the storm yeah he cha he has four different <laughs> costumes. Well, three different costumes because he cycles back to the first. Um, but he is the in one song he's a grocer, an FBI agent, a recruiting officer, and then Private Knight. Yeah, in one song, and it's not in even like a thirty-minute song. It's just like a normal length oh, song. No. Yeah, and most of those changes are required. Well. <laughs> into the FBI agent was the fastest and then out of FBI agent and back into the grocer um, that those are the lightning fast changes. And those are each uh, about 10 seconds or less. So I had to work really hard on <laughs> what simplifies and what, what can be seen because I also couldn't do just like a quick change jumpsuit with a big zipper up the back. Cause you yeah. know, they dance. And so you can't make it just a unitard. That'll be a quick change. So you have to actually consider, you know, what piece can be reused and look like a completely different bit with a different shirt. Like his uh, 
his military uniform pants he wore throughout that song because it was just it's too hard to change pants at any point when you're doing four characters in one song. Yeah, so shoes um, and buttons. He had these, which look like normal khakis on the grocer, but when you have them with the recruiting officer, they look like the proper uniform pants, and that's exactly what they were. So we had to find things that would would bridge, and also it was about finding things that were like the most stereotypical look for an FBI agent, so we can quickly broadcast to the audience. This is a, a government man showing up to their door because he's only on stage for four seconds and then he's gone again. So we need the audience to grasp very quickly with very few pieces exactly what he is before he runs away again. How long did How that long? take you to, to map out and figure out? Because there's so many different parts of design. You're like, great, I'm doing a Japanese piece in America in World War II. That's or World War one. I mean, one. Oh, two. two. You're right. Yeah. The first one was more of the royal family's history. So yep. the, so then we have that design element. And then you have the design element. I have 15 actors trying to fit into all these pieces. And then you have to worry about costume changes, quick changes, what people fit into. I know George Takei had an entire set of costumes that you had to get shipped from New York out. So you guys were waiting on those till the last minute and they were shipped out, but they also had to blend with everybody else's outfits. Like <laughs> how much of designing costumes is actual design ideas versus planning, scheduling, coming up with diagrams and maps and <laughs> quick change outlines and who's wearing what outfit when? Yeah, I feel like I was doing that from day one to the very end, like all the way to opening night. Um, I had <laughs> these crazy charts that were just like huge, long lengths of graph paper that I had all these notes and, and little things blocked out on that organized the entire show for me. And that's what I do first. I always start with what I call my roadmap of the show. And that just tells me, you know, what characters are on stage at what point in time. And that's even before I knew who the, who the, the cast was that I had started that. So then I get the cast. And I find out what all roles they're playing. And some of those didn't come out until like a month or two later. Like, Oh, well this person's a soldier now as well. And you're like, Oh great. Thanks for mentioning that before. Yeah. <laughs> it's another so soldier it's, outfit. It's constantly being revised and it's constantly a, a juggle. And you just really have to make sure to, circle back to everyone and um every time I had an actor in a, in a fitting room I would be like great so what happened in rehearsal you know what what else are you doing that nobody has told me about <laughs> want to slip through the cracks um and then circling back with stage management as well to be like okay so this person told me they're a soldier in scene eight now but they were just on stage as an attorney two seconds before so um is this real or is this not <laughs> and some of those things i honestly didn't discover until i went into a designer run and it was like oh hey there's two people on stage that weren't supposed to ever be on stage right now um so it's <laughs> guess i'm making a costume tonight <laughs> exactly i was like oh there's two new costumes good to know we've got two asian men we have to look like white men guards Cool. Okay. <laughs> That's when they're backstage to the audience. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't face the audience. Wear a big coat and a helmet. Done. <laughs> yep. That, yeah, it's just amazing. I I was just 
it was my first show at East West Players. It was my first big LA show. I knew nobody there. And I'd go upstairs because you guys were building all the costumes in the dressing rooms at East West Players. And there were just pictures lining walls and like three or four people on sewing machines no matter what time I was up there. It was impressive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I had I was blessed. I was able to to hire my own staff. So I, I got a really great crew. Um my assistant that's been working with me for the last two years now, she's kind of my rock that keeps me anchored. Uh, I refer to her as half my brain because I, I will just spew things out of my face and then she will just kind of <laughs> grab the necessary important little bits and then remember <laughs> them for me and be like, no, remember you decided this yesterday, Haley? And I was like, no. <laughs> Thank you. Yesterday was so long ago. <laughs> So long ago with so few hours of sleep between. <laughs> exactly. I don't even remember days anymore. It just all blends together. It, it is. Yeah, especially during Allegiance. It's like, what month is it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. So you got to hire your crew. So how many people did you have, not for any day, but overall, how many people did you have sewing for you? How many different people? Uh, in total, I had five. Yeah. Nice. Pretty and much how many... 40 hours a week? Uh, we rotated, and two of them worked from their own shops in their own homes. Um, so the, that was my two drapers, and then my stitchers worked in the shop on the third floor at East West Players, uh, where we built a shop because they didn't have one. Um, nope. <laughs> it's dressing rooms and a meeting area, as I've learned a couple times while trying to do things. Like, oh, you're having a meeting now? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It was funny. They they asked me what I needed to to make the show happen, and I said a place to build a costume shop because it's too big for my own costume shop. Um, and they were like, "Okay, so we could give you the the dressing room on on the third floor." And I was like, "Can I have the third floor?" Yeah, the entire third floor. <laughs> and they like, they thought I was kidding, it. and I was like, "No." really guys I need the third floor all of it and then when I finally moved in and had you know my research and renderings put up and then I explained to them I was like this room is the closet room where we have things that we've pulled from your stock that could work in the show that's gonna live here the whole time it's just like a stock for us in case of emergency and then in front of that that is where all the show costumes are that have actually been pulled for characters and fit and are in progress and the other room is their work room and this is how this is set up and they were like oh you do need the whole third floor <laughs> I was like it's not a joke <laughs> it's really i'm gonna take up all the space because <laughs> i think you were doing fittings and uh like measurements and stuff in the bathroom because I went upstairs yeah. once to go to the bathroom, and it was like you and three other people in the bathroom. And I was like, oh, okay, costume fitting. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, it's a very large bathroom. It is. It's a pretty nice size. Yeah. Pretty bright light. also, like, the only bathrooms for the building are on the third floor, so. You guys well, got to visit it for you. Very well. Yeah. <laughs> At least you didn't have to walk up and down stairs all the time. Right? <laughs> I just felt terrible. I was occasionally like, you can't use that bathroom for like eight hours today, but you could use the other bathroom on the other side of the third floor instead. So you're down a bathroom. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> That's okay. Most people were living at the theater at that point. so <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> we were all bathing there at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so how was it working with George Takei? I, I never actually 
got to work with him because as scenic, I don't mm-hmm. really have to interact with actors. Uh, so I saw him and I saw him backstage and I think I said mm-hmm. hi once or twice, but that was it. But you actually got to dress him and worry about quick changes and all that. Is yep. he as nice as everybody says he is? Oh, he absolutely is. He absolutely is. He is a darling human being. I I was a little intimidated by him at first. He's a legend, you know? Yeah. And I'm a Trekkie. <laughs> I'm a <total> nerd. <laughs> and so I was like, George TK? No way! <laughs> and then um, when I, I finally met him for... Um, I even met him late in the process. It was during the the LA Weekly photo shoot. It was my first actual one-on-one time with George. And um, I, I remember bringing him into the onto the third floor and walking him down that hallway. And he stopped in his tracks and just looks at the renderings. And then he turns and he sees that I've posted my most pertinent and like my favorite research parts all over the walls for everyone to see and for us to kind of live in and marinate in. And he absolutely loved that. And we stood there and we talked about the historical research images that I had and like tiny little detailed touches that like drew me to some of those photos that he had never even noticed before. And he had seen most of these pictures before. And he was like, Oh, Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They did make those and they did do this with their pants and then their sleeves. And I was like, I know, isn't that cool? <laughs> and so we just, we totally nerded out for like a good hour, at least on the third floor. <laughs> but he's, a- a, he's a darling. He's an absolute dream. And he, he came to bat for me a lot in this show. That is so cool. Yeah. Like- what do you mean came to bat for you? Like, what, what's an example? <laughs> Uh, Ited Suita, uh, the, the music number where they drop the atomic bomb has a, a pretty specific and fairly gruesome costume in it. Which, which um, I loved. And I was sad at one point when they cut it during, uh, it was previews and then it came back rehearsal. at some point. Yeah. And I'd seen it and I was like, oh yes. And then it was cut and I was like, no. And then later I came back to watch it. I was like, it was added back in slightly. <laughs> Kind of, yeah. And I, I wish it had been added back in in a different way than it was. But um, it was added back in on opening night. So it didn't actually get teched ever. Um, and it never got its its previews. It never got really a proper rehearsal. So it was it was kind of a hard thing. Um, but it, it caused a lot of drama and strife, which was really sad. Um, because some people felt the costume was distracting and some people felt it went too far and some people didn't feel it went far enough. <laughs> and so, cause you can never make anyone happy or everyone happy. Um, so for those, so it was cut people... first dress rehearsal and then opening night uh, or the night before opening or a couple nights. I don't remember. The days are strange. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it was the week of opening. Uh, George had had conversations with Snehal about, that costume and how much it meant to him to have it in the show, how important it was for him. Cause he had become really attached to it as well. And, um, he, he actually held curtain on opening night and refused to go on stage until they added that costume back into the show because he had been promised, promised, according to him. This is, I, I only learned these stories secondhand cause I had nothing to do with this. I found out about it 
as it was happening. I was out having a cocktail with my mother for the opening party. Yep. And the dressers are exploding my tel- my phone, just telling me all manner of crazy things happening backstage and how George was like not, he was refusing to get dressed and refusing to let the show happen until they added that costume back in. So that was all George fighting for my costume, which was incredible. Because I had given up that battle days before when Snehal and I had a meeting about it. And I was like, well, it's, you know, I'm, I tried. I did my best. This is a battle that I've lost. I'm hanging it up. And uh, I had given up completely at that point. And, and George was like, I'm not done. <laughs> <laughs> it starts with me on stage, so they're not doing anything till I walk out there with exactly. the box. He's like, good luck starting the show without me. Because <laughs> uh, when Janelle walked into the building that day, she wears the costume. He stopped her and he said, you know, are you are you wearing the costume tonight? And she said, no, George, it's been cut. And George was like, mm, you need to bring Snay Hall on stage management. I'm not doing anything <laughs> until you do that. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> and I was like, it wasn't me. It was not me, guys. <laughs> but I, he, I really... he's a strong-willed man. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, he helped write the show, and he has been doing the show, and it's his legacy. Well, I mean, Star mm-hmm. Trek legacy, but, like, this is his history and culture and stuff. Absolutely. And I remember in college, my uh, one of my profession- professors there, uh, Vicki Lewis, we had a whole session. I don't remember if it was a whole semester or what, on Japanese theater. And I remember learning about this art form, and I can't remember the name of it, that came out of the bombing that had people walking the streets in masks that looked like melted skin and ashes and burnt away clothes. And they just basically cried. Yeah. And yeah, it was. And that was uh, the conversation that Snehal and I had when we were talking about the design of the show. We were talking about how he wanted that to have a bunto element into that scene. And then it, it just, it never materialized. And uh, when... I saw a design run, and I was like, why? What happened? <laughs> yeah, they and just stand there during that scene. Yeah, they were just standing. And then he had her just sort of walk across the very back. And I went, we we have a really specific costume and moment for this. And it was even the first drawing I did for the show, because it was a very impactful moment for me. And that's how I found my way into the design of the show was through that piece and he was like yeah it just it it just didn't happen and I went what do you mean you didn't fill me in you gotta keep me in the loop guys and and that's just yeah it was it was kind of disappointing I had I had hoped it would pan out differently because I the conversations we had about it were absolutely wonderful and it it could have been so much more impactful yeah, when she originally when I saw it in costume, she walks across half of the stage. Your your puppy's adorable. Cindy's accused me of it being my puppy, and I'm like, that's not my puppy. It's Haley's puppy. Hundred <laughs> percent. Oh, this. rolling around on her back. Oh, mom is not paying attention to us. Oh, we yeah. have this toy on our belly, mom. There's a lot of neglected puppy behind me. Yeah, ours is locked in the other room because he's neglected too. <laughs> Locked in the it other room. It should be much louder. Yeah. If I did that. 
He's on the bed sleeping because I was like, we're going to the dog park today, so you will use some energy. But yeah, the first time I watched it, she walks across the back half of the stage uh, behind all the people, and then she stops and slowly turns forward and then walks downstage a little bit when the lights change and, and all kinds of stuff. And that's when the boxes go fuzzy and the music changes and all of that. And I was like, yes, because this is what happened when we dropped the bomb. This is the damage it caused. And then when it disappeared, mm-hmm. I was like, well, it's not as impactful now because now we just have a bunch of internees dressed in regular clothes singing and we see pictures of the bombs and all but it's not as impactful of what actually happened yeah. due to us dropping them so i glad i'm glad it was added back in unfortunately not completely as big as possible but at least it was there because it's a very striking costume no other costume in the show is that everything else is realistic and that mm-hmm. is it's a very expressionistic moment yeah and i thought it was a great costume and I was excited to see it back in, so I'm glad George did that. I know the actors were, too. The actors actually were were really upset when it was cut from the show. Everyone kept asking me and my team, like, what happened? Where is it? Are we getting it back? And I was like, I wish I knew the answers to any of those questions. (laughs) Because they were, everyone was being so cagey with me at first as to why it was cut. And some people said, you know, I think someone was offended. And it was, it was a hard it was a hard time when that got cut from the show. I was also incredibly exhausted at that point. Yeah, the, you were getting like three or four hours process. of sleep. I was just a ball of nerves at that minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, if we don't offend people occasionally on what we did to them, then, yeah. then you know what? <laughs> I, I felt like we needed to have our noses rubbed in our crimes. Yeah. And that's, that's why I really wanted that costume to be in it. Like, we need to face the horrors we have inflicted on others. And I don't feel like as Americans, we have ever faced that because we didn't actually have to see it. Exactly. And as Americans, we've been attacked like twice in Mm -hmm. our history and it was one day each, one moment each. It wasn't even a full day, you know, and I'm not saying anything. And it doesn't have years of fallout. Years. Exactly. Like the two things that happened to us, can you just imagine that happening every day for years and years and years? So yeah, we've never been rounded up and stuck in concentration camp for no reason for years, mm-hmm. and then drop bombs on a country that for 50, 60 years people are still having health and physical and mental issues because of. It, Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely something the American people haven't had to face. Not that I'm like, yeah, somebody should do that to us, but like we just haven't, no. it hasn't been in our face, so we haven't had to deal with it. So we, and, and it's, it's not even in our history courses, it's a footnote. You know, yeah. we don't we don't really cover too much like the bombs that we dropped that devastated a population. You know, yeah. we don't we don't cover that nearly enough in our history lessons. So it was really important for me to have that in the show. Yeah, to see what it did to a culture because it wasn't a military base. It wasn't We um, bombed civilians. And, we bombed cities. Yeah, and that they're like, hey, we dropped the bombs, and now the war's over because we did this. Yay! And it's like, the war's over because we just killed way too many civilians, and that devastation should not continue. <laughs> so. Exactly. I had so many people after after the show come up to me and be like, that Itetsuita costume, and then follow that with the victory swing? Yeah. And they would just, they would look at me and be like, that was horrifying. How do you swing from, like, 
that intense costume into like this victory and it's so grotesque and it's so overdone and I was like that's exactly it you need to be uncomfortable yeah exactly and when I first read it and I first listened to the music without ever watching it because I didn't watch the show for the first time till the Mm -hmm. um probably the designer run watch bits and pieces throughout but during the mm-hmm. designer run and the Asians on the side and the white guy in the middle and he's so excited and they're so hurt. You don't mm-hmm. get that by just reading it. So I thought the way that Snehal staged that and the way they played that was excellent because it's like, yeah, victory for who? Yeah, like, I exactly. get it. The war's over, but now you're going to give them what was it like a bus pass and ten dollars and twenty dollars and a bus ticket. And a bunch of the people from the country they were born or grandparents or whatever are now wiped out and dead. Siblings, too, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and just, the it was so fitting for the way the white guy reacted versus the way the Japanese guy acted, even though they're all Americans. Mm-hmm. But just the way that is and the whole, starting there on, it's like, I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. Yeah. It's only going to get worse. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But yeah, so that's excellent. So going from the the heavy darkness of that, and then you jump over to the troubadours, a troop of clowns <laughs> who run around all kinds of places doing Bowie songs. Yep. And you guys were at the Getty not long ago, and the Getty uh, Villa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do you then? Because this isn't based in history. This isn't based in anything necessarily real. Like I get it that David Bowie was a person a persona and all that, but then how do you jump over to doing something so open and whatever kind of you want? That's, that's the world I thrive in the best. I think um, <laughs> this is the, the world where everything's a little, little off, a little wacky. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't do little drummer Bowie. Um, I did do how the Prince stole Christmas. Um, they had their previous costume designer was, Still doing little drummer Bowie. She worked with them for I think 20 years before hanging up her clown hat wow. <laughs> and stepping over to let me in. Um, <laughs> but I I absolutely love working with the Trubies. I started my professional life as a clown. Um, so uh, I being able to work with clowns is just an absolute dream for me. Yeah, as a performer. Uh, I thought you said <laughs> earlier never to let you on stage. A clown is not on a stage. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> and I'm much more confident with a nose on than I am without. <laughs> <laughs> so were you Got the it. clown with the colorful hair and big nose or were you a Del Arte clown and the more expressionistic? I, I used to have really long hair, so I would do like crazy things with my hair and win weird styles, but I didn't do the the wa- the wacky colors or anything, and I didn't do grease paint. I did a really wild, unique makeup, though, and I had little stars, silver stars and designs all over my face. And I was Oops the Clown, so it was a very innocent, loving, kind of sweet clown. <laughs> <laughs> was that out in California or back in Texas? That was back in Texas, yeah. Nice. We're going to have to take up so, some pictures. When uh, when I interviewed with the Trubies, um, with Matt Walker, we immediately hit it off. Um, and then he he was like, yeah, you want to 
you want to join? You want to come play? And I was like, yes, please. <laughs> but they are, um, they're a, a wonderful, incredibly wonderful group of people to work with. They're also very hard <laughs> to work with um, just because they're, they're very hard on their costumes and their clothes. Um, well, that's, everything so has probably to be, not thinking about that. <laughs> everything has to be clown proofed. <laughs> Which is worse than actor proof. <laughs> Yeah, it's so much worse than actor proof. <laughs> um, and it just, and they they constantly add, add things to their shows. So sometimes I will have to like scramble to come up with a, a new costume for this new character they've pulled out of a hat. And like a few hours. It's fun. But you have to be really on your toes the entire time. So it, that's what makes it kind of difficult. But it's, it's always a blast working with them. And uh, for the Prince, uh, the hardest part in that show for me was figuring out the right balance. It was, uh, is it a, a Grinchy Prince or is it a Princey Grinch? Did I say that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so which is it most heavy on? And my first iteration of the costume was actually very Prince, but with very Grinchy elements to him and then that was that did not go over well with the prince estate so, so we had to <laughs> quick redesign um and i made it a very grinch character that was very very purple and sparkly and it had like a purple fur with a, a nice little purple tinsel in it and we made a fat suit for him and gave him a really that distinct grinch body um that was a lot of fun to make. Ben Walker has told me that that is actually his favorite costume he's ever worn, which just <laughs> brought me intense joy. Because <laughs> he really rocked that fat suit. It was wonderful. I had too much fun making it, too. So that was great. <laughs> you probably had his first and fitting in that suit. He was like, <gasps> really? <laughs> <laughs> that's so, that's got to be so like satisfying. You know, it's so much better than creating this whole costume and then co- and then the, the performer being like, do I have to wear that? Or, yeah. you know, just like, I don't have look a- good. I've had those experiences. Yeah, it is exactly. Crushing. <laughs> You're like, I just worked so hard. <laughs> and you yep. hate it. <laughs> Where did our conversation go wrong? <laughs> well, I like the ones uh, I don't work in costumes, but have plenty of costume friends. And they're like, I look kind of dumpy. And you're like, you are kind of dumpy. Like, I'm sorry you personally don't <laughs> that's like your it, character. but your character yeah. is that, so that's what we went with. I'm not yeah. here to make you look pretty, I'm making you into a character. <laughs> that Those are hard conversations to have, and usually when I have to like make someone look a little dumpy or frumpy, and, and then I have to start like, a little ego petting early, <laughs> so I can be like, you're a beautiful, wonderful, talented human. I'm going to do things to you that you would not do to you. And it's in service of your character. And I need you to be with me and on board with me, or this is all just going to fall apart. And usually it works out that way if I if I can frame it right early enough on. But if, if you don't, and you're just like, here's your fitting. Hello, nice to meet you. Try on these lovely things that aren't so lovely. Yeah. And then it, it, it becomes an issue then. But you really have to, like, preface it, like, you're a hard person to look really frumpy. Like, you're a hard person to dress down. 
you know, you have to, you just have to frame it right for those. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but usually it does <laughs> if you frame it right. Yeah. Cause actors are all about trying to look, I mean, not just actors, humans in general, trying to look the best mm -hmm. they can and be in shape and look good. And if anyone sees them, they look their best. And you're like, yeah, no, not today. Mm -hmm. Gonna look a little that, beat up. Especially in Los Angeles, too. Because yeah. they'll have, like, their agent or manager or someone or casting agents come and see the show. And so they want to look a certain way for them. And it's like, well, you need to you need to look like your character. You're, you're here to tell a story, not here to sell yourself to a casting agent, or you shouldn't be. That should be very secondary or tertiary, further down the line. Um, but you, you do end up with a lot of that in L.A. People just don't want to look not their best. Yeah. But that's cool that the, at least the Trubies were like, well, I guess he's in a big purple suit, so it's not like anyone was probably really seeing his face much at all. Oh, no, the Trubies are hilarious. They're like, can you actually, like, black out all my teeth? <laughs> like, could you give me a mullet? Like, what can you do to make me look terrifying or awful? <laughs> They're really funny. <laughs> The, the mayor of, of Howville in uh, How the Prince Stole Christmas, he, he insisted on having that bald cap. And it was great. It was so much fun. But I gave him this, like, epic receding hairline. And then they made a little bit in the song. And he put a little bit of cotton in the middle of it <laughs> <laughs> to make a little toupee. It was hilarious. But you just... <laughs> you just have to be prepared. <laughs> like, oh, that's not... Okay, well, that's where we're going. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so did the Trubies, uh, earlier on, I think we talked about, I don't remember if we'd started the podcast recording or not yet. Um, you work in with the Trubies and other people in more found spaces and site-specific spaces and experimental <laughs> spaces. Do you like doing that or do you like the more, this is my dressing room, this is where the actors are? I, I love doing immersive and site-specific theater uh it does come with challenges like dressing rooms and you know amenities how how do we handle those yeah um but uh i i think those projects are more interesting to me generally uh because the audiences are younger and it helps it helps keep you trying to to reinvent things um rather than, than just sort of resting on, on the comforts that come with the theater. So you have to be much more creative, I think, when you're doing site-specific and immersive. I think that's what I like about it, but I also, to me, something like that is you feel, well, at least for me, I kind of feel more proud at the end because you did have to do kind of like all of this extra work in order to make it yeah. possible. So... To me, it's just like an extra layer of something to be proud of or something mm -hmm. to be like feel accomplished in. Um, it just gives you that extra rush. Absolutely. You know, like most normal people don't have to think about where they're going to go to the bathroom, but I did. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. And as far as costumes go in, in immersive theater, it's it's not hugely different. Uh, the biggest trick really is is just sort of creating a space for your actors to be able to change clothes. And that's one of the biggest differences we have um, because they're still gonna wear costumes. Um, they're still gonna change where they should or should, um, where the script says they should. So 
you have to it's it's still pretty similar for site specific in, in costume world it's very different for scenic but it's not so much for costume it's really just the amenities that change how is it so I primarily work in opera mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out how to word this in traditional opera, you know, the, the rule of thumb is the closest audience member is over 50 feet away from the performer. And so we build costumes differently. Mm-hmm. The detail's different, or there is no detail, or you over-exaggerate because you're so far away from the audience. And we're actually running into that on Faust. There's this gorgeous mm-hmm. detail in some of the costumes that John Frame did, and you just can't see it even from the orchestra, so we have to redo it. Do you... I don't... In theater do you notice the same thing or is it different when you're kind of in an immersive space because your audience is like one foot away as opposed to 50 feet away or do you kind of still go at it about the same? I go at it about the same. I just kind of, uh, you have to consider it more of like along the lines of a black box or closer to a film or a crossover between a film and a black box. So you have to be prepared for your audience to be right in their face. Um, because they may even have conversations with the actor in costume and character. So right. you have to be able to sort of consider it to a detailing level of a film, usually with immersive, as opposed right. to proscenium where you just have to like blow everything out and make it as bold or as high contrast so that you can see it past the orchestra pit. Yeah. Costumes in their details. So I was like, eh, it's good enough. It's a set. It's I fine. love detailing. That's that's most of the fun for me. I'm like, and then we're going to get into what's in your pockets. <laughs> and what's in your purse. And I get really into details sometimes. <laughs> oh, that's I, that's what I love. Uh, maybe that's why I love immersive so much. Like when, yeah. when I just did the wreck in Omaha, it was the detail that was put into every single thing. Like, I was on that set for the entire time we had the set, which changed up until opening, and it probably changed after that. But the detail that every single little item on that stage, you know, was period. And the scenic designer would literally go around and, like, move things an inch or two inches or swap out a candle to the other side of the stage because she thought that it flowed better, you know. And and that's what I really appreciate about it is because it, it was all those little details that, on a conscious level... I think most audience members or even the performers didn't really notice, but it, the way that it kind of sucks you in and you just are absorbed by all of it. And I feel the same with, with costumes. You don't really think about the detail, but if it's all correct and all perfect, then it just makes it so, so much better. Exactly. I love detail. And it I think goes with that. The best design isn't noticed sort of saying mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's a seamless storytelling experience when the the design is at its proper level of detailing and and accuracy yeah um you're not playing with us that's what the wine <laughs> i know it's torture sorry guys <laughs> <laughs> no it's what i hear on a regular basis if he wasn't passed out from the dog park he would be whining in the other room right now that's why I thought it was your dog that's why I texted you I was like can you get him to be quiet (laughs) I'm actually trying really hard (laughs) I see you playing I I know what it looks like to play tug of war while trying to be on the the phone or computer (laughs) exactly this is one arm constantly shaking (laughs) hi hi puppy do you remember me probably not we met once though huh 
And I petted you, and you were so excited. I remember people real well. (laughs) If you petted me, I liked you. (laughs) Yeah, you're being a good dog, huh? Mom's wanting to play with us. We know it. (laughs) Okay, so we don't take up much more of the puppy's time. Go. Go lay down. Go lay down. Go. (laughs) We always ask one final question. For two seconds. Exactly. Uh, We always ask one final question, and I, I think I probably forgot to... We're really bad at reminding people about this. this. Uh, Because it's Twins Talk Theater, we always ask if you have any twin stories. Uh, Anyone you worked with, you grew up with, relatives, uh, you had to dress twins or dress people who are twins to not look like twins, or just any interesting twin stories. Or not interesting, whatever. Um, I don't know if I have a specific twin story. I have so many twins in my life. Dear God. There are so many. I know at least six or seven sets of twins. And I know both siblings. Yeah, I know a lot of twins. That's Um, weird. We don't know that many. We know like three. Two? Well, I guess I have... I married into a family that has a couple, but before that, we like knew one set. My, My mom once told me that she thought I was supposed to be a twin. Or they were... Told I was going to have a twin, but I didn't. <laughs> Oftentimes, yeah, one can suck back into the other yeah. being formed. I mean, considering that's how it starts, is one kind of pops away, <laughs> so split at some point, mm-hmm. why not rejoin? Yep. Have you ever had um, to work with any? I have not. Well, filmmaker twins, a, a director duo, yeah. Um... And they were like co-directors? I've made some non-twins look like twins for a circus play. (laughs) They even had to be conjoined. (laughs) But that was a unique sewing process. That was. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't think I have anything more specific than that. That's good. I just have so many twins in my life. (laughs) It's so interesting because, yeah... So many people don't. I mean, it's becoming more common <laughs> now, but it's still not. Yeah, we we interviewed a set of twins the other day, and it was so exciting because it's the first set of twins that we talked to as like twins on twins in years. Mm-hmm. And it was like, hey, do you do this? Awesome. Do you do that? Oh, yeah, theater. We got to talk about theater. And it kept branching off into just twin stuff. <laughs> twin speak. Yeah, exactly. we haven't talked to twins since um, Adam and... Travis, Travis, I think. Well, I guess Chris and Brad Inlow, but they were rarely together. Adam and Travis DeBoer were, they were in high school, so they were always together with us. Nice. So what, what shows or what are you working on right now that we should tag or post about? Or I I know you're only doing like three or four shows at a time, so. (laughs) (laughs) Only? Yeah. Uh, Right now, as far as plays go, I have a little bit of a lull. Um, some some people like to book me in advance. Some people like to book me at the last second. Um, but right now, I don't have another play on the board until October. I'm oh, hoping wow. that changes soon. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm doing uh, various individual styling projects, though. I have some styling clients uh, that have hired me, and I have some commissioned uh pieces in the works as well and then i just wrapped a corporate job where i'm helping a hotel rebrand so there's a there's a lot of 
little things, not so theatrical, but all all in the realm of costume. <laughs> all that pay the bills. How does yes, costuming exactly. help rebrand? You just have to diversify your skills. Exactly. <laughs> How does costuming work into rebranding a hotel? Like the what the people in the hotel are wearing? Like the people you meet at the front desk and the people taking your luggage? Yeah. Well, they had uh, like an immersive event where they they announced their their rebranding, and so there were performers in that, and they were clowns conveniently. <laughs> so, Interesting. Once again, they called me in to dress the clowns. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I got to make uh, like seven bellhop clowns, uh, and that was fun uh, for a for a project. It was an immersive project, but. That's how they chose to announce their rebranding. That's pretty cool. Yeah, never yeah. thought about that. I would not have thought about that, but I know. And they I don't like it. So, out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least it's something fun and different, and uh, still in costuming. Yep. When I got the phone call for it, my my friend said, "So I have this project, and it's really strange. And you're the first person that I thought of." And I just laughed, and I was like, "Perfect." <laughs> Where do I sign? I don't need to know anything else. <laughs> kind of what I did with Allegiance. You want me to work as TD on Allegiance? Great. Where do I sign? Okay, where is it? When is it? Who's doing it? <laughs> right. I just want to be part of the project. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, thanks to your puppy for coming on camera and saying hi. Only Sydney and I got to see that, except Sydney took a picture, so now it is on Instagram. Oh, no. You're welcome. <laughs> Hopefully it was frozen making some kind of crazy expression. That would be great. Well, know. Stacey's frozen, but we have a good picture of you and your dog. Actually, it's really cute. So. It is pretty adorable. <laughs> so so that's exciting. Awesome. You we do you need some sort of reference to why there's a constant whine in the background. <laughs> <laughs> because puppies. Cindy yeah, has a cat. 75 pound puppy. Yeah. <laughs> I have a dog in Chinchilla, and Cindy, when she's in New York, has a cat, so there's always some Aww. kind of animal noise. Usually, Doggington gets brought out and says hi over my shoulder, and half the people we interview have dogs or cats or something running around. So, yep. it makes us better people <laughs> to have pets. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's a wonder any of us can, but, you know, they're worth it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, thanks. Uh, good luck with all your projects, and I'm sure I'll work with you again in the in the near future, it'll be exciting. Absolutely. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I look forward Thank to you. it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at twinstalktheater. Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of incomtech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.